Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Reframing Our Stories. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. I just wanted to let you know that part of this episode was recorded earlier in the springtime, and so there will be some references that may not pertain anymore to what is happening currently, uh, like when we talk about virtual school. But I also wanted to hop on to let you know about something I'm really excited about. In January, I will be launching two different workshops called Menopause Stories. And this is for anybody who is in menopause or who is experiencing perimenopause or anyone who just kind of wants to learn more about the topic. This will be a four-week series and we will meet once a week for an hour. And how we're going to do this is we will have time where we can write using the Amherst Writers and Artists Method, which is a healing writing technique that I am trained in. And so we'll have a time to do a little bit of writing, which will be our reflection time. We'll be having time where we can share. We will also have education around the theme of that week, and then a time for questions and answers. If by chance I'm not able to answer your questions, I will do the research for you to find the answers because you don't have time for that. So let me be that person. If there's one thing that I know to be true about perimenopause and menopause is that we need support and we need each other to learn from. And so that is what this experience is trying to do. It's providing a space where you can share, learn from other people, and also have a time where you can reflect and walk away with a lot of resources. So if this is something that you are interested in doing, then please, please visit our website at www.reframingourstories.com and you can find it under the event tab. Also, you should know that I'm only taking six people per session. The first session meets on Tuesdays from 7.30 to 8.30 Pacific time. And the second session meets on Sundays from 4 to 5 starting January 9th. I like to keep it intimate. I like to keep it small. So only six per session can come. So please look into it if this is something that interests you. And hopefully we can build community and a sense of support for you in your life. And with that, thank you for joining us again, and let's get to the show. Today on the show, we are talking with Lori Reichel. Lori is also known as the Puberty Prof. Lori loves to provide hands-on education to children that is not lecture-based to help them learn about their bodies and relationships. With around 30 years of experience as a school sex educator, she also knows the tools that kids and families need to have important conversations. Because of this, Lori has her own podcast called The Puberty Prof. She has developed an app for families to help them with conversations called the Talk Puberty app. And now with her experience teaching as a college professor, she has developed the Talk Before Sex app. Lori and I met among a sea of other sexual health professionals and recognized our shared passion of creating products for families to have these important conversations. Lori, I am so glad you are here. 
And thank you. How are you? (laughs) Thank you, Kara. Thank you for having me, hosting me today. I'm doing very well. How about yourself, Kara? Oh, great. You know, (laughs) still trying to survive the uh, crazy world of virtual school, but doing good. Yeah, it certainly is one day at a time. And it seems like there is that light at the end of the tunnel. I know, right? We're getting there. So I'm always curious in terms of with sex educators, um, how you got into this profession, what made you get into sex education, and why have you chosen to focus on puberty? Sure. Great question. I actually thought when I was younger, I would go into medicine. And I had the opportunity when I was an undergrad in college to work at Stony Brook University Hospital. And at that time, I met people that were diagnosed with HIV, really full-blown AIDS. Mm. And people were still trying to figure out what was going on with that. Yet I met a variety of people who had contracted it through a partner that had it uh, from substance use, sharing drug equipment, including needles. And every one of them had their own story. Um, even one person who whose partner cheated on them and she contracted it and she unfortunately passed on. So I learned a lot about that and it gave this perspective to me of, okay, I can go in and do this intervention, but I'd really like this to not happen because I saw the people struggling and there was one patient in particular who every time I saw him in the hospital, because he would come in when his T cell counts would go below 200 and he would need medicine and support. And then when they would go, his T cell count would get higher. He'd leave the hospital. But every single time I saw him, he was always so angry. He would not want his blood drawn. That's how I was trained as a student worker, as a phlebotomist, drawing blood. And he just, um, just angry. And the last time I saw him was right before he passed on, in which this man who used to express so much energy and anger was now wearing a diaper, was Mm. eating... Um, eating like a child, like drip, drool down his chin and all. And it, it dawned on me that this virus also impacts the nervous system. Yeah. And also at one point I recognized nobody, I never saw anybody in his room with him besides the medical care professionals. I never saw family or friends. Hmm. And that really struck me in which, okay, if I can help people prevent getting this, but upon people getting it, how can I teach empathy? Hmm. Because this thing, you know, people are human. These are my values. People are human and everybody's doing the best they can with the tools they've been provided and not everybody's been provided tools. Mm -hmm. So that led me into going into school health education in which I applied for different programs without people knowing except for a close friend. And I applied for school health programs. I was accepted to both, received an assistantship, and I started learning about how do we teach school health And so that's what I jumped into in New York. I I got into the school health and sex education is part of that. And I always like talking about those topics that are the most controversial Mm -hmm. because I find it's 
it's interesting for some people, they instantly are like, no, we can't talk about the topic. But I know as a child, I was extremely curious. Mm-hmm. That did not mean I did anything because I didn't. I was actually very naive and I continue to be naive in some ways in my life. And I appreciate that part of myself. Yet as a child, I would be the one looking up in the dictionary at that time, certain words and trying to figure out what they are or giggling at them. And that continued. I would always make like a a sexual connotation here and there. But again, that doesn't mean I was doing anything. I think it was just a general curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I thought that sexual activity I thought that it was healthy if you're in a relationship with someone in which you have healthy communication. And that includes consent. And that uh, no matter how long that relationship is, if it's five years, if it's five months, five minutes, uh, it's the communication is needed there. So yeah. that's how I got into it. Well, I think that's really fascinating. And I love how you said a relationship that needs communication, because I feel like as I get older and as I start looking at relationships, I do think communication is the biggest component in many ways, right? Of being able to meet a person in that space and being able to have those important discussions and like being able to relay your feelings and understanding what they are and then talking about what feel safe for you and what doesn't and how you, you know, how you want to be touched, how you don't want to be touched. And I think, again, like those are the tools I think that so many of us are not given, right? Yes. Yes. In which if you look at the national health education standards, there's currently eight of them. One of them pertains to effective communication skills. Mm -hmm. And that is my favorite standard. It has always been in which when I taught at the high school level, after we did the intro stuff about what this class will be about, it's not just about physical health, it's mental, emotional, spiritual, environmental, you know, it's all those different aspects. I would then go into this communication unit and infuse this content, including substance information and sexual health information. And it's providing the skills. We, We explored the the verbal aspects about tone and the words that we choose, and then the nonverbal regarding our body language. And I had fun with that. And it doesn't mean I'm a perfect communicator because I I'm, certainly am not perfect. I continue to grow. Yet those skill sets are so important because when you do, if you do choose to be in a romantic and or sexual relationship, that you can, as you noted, express your needs and wants. And also as you age throughout a relationship or as you age in life, your needs and wants change. And to express that to a partner and to also listen to your partner and to see how your paths are going. Are your paths continuing on the same road? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's it's interesting and there's going to be challenges along the way. Mm -hmm. So, yes, communication, my number one. And uh, if you ask anybody in the field of school health, they will say health education in the year 2021 is about skill development. It's not about memorization of facts. Yeah, for sure. And how do you see that playing out then for you and your educating? For within the classroom? Yes, yes. It's so much more fun 
Hmm. because it's real life experience for students of all ages. Hmm. It's uh, what's really neat too is that there's this personal part where if I'm teaching these skills, I need to also practice them. Right. Right. Because And it's that modeling. Modeling is so important for young people, um, really people of all ages. So it's, and once sometimes young people or students overall will push back and go, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I'm thinking you're supposed to lecture, you're going to give me a test. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not real life. Uh, in life, we, for health, for your wellness, there's going to be other things you have to that. Uh, pertain to, you have to figure out, you look at the past year, year and a half regarding COVID, and we see how people have had to figure out their social relationships. Mm-hmm. And during a time that we have so much technology, some people still couldn't get connected. Yeah. And some of them need that face-to-face, yet that social connection is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we have the skills to do that? So it's it's like looking at... It's just updated. It's about real life application. It's how to be a healthy person as a young person and as you progress into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like some of our technology for the younger people today, how do you feel like that is changing their communication skills? Because I know that you work with a variety of ages and do you see yeah. a difference? I won't deny I get concerned when it seems like people are looking at their phones so much instead of being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one thing in which some of the communication is, it's thought that I can communicate through technology. And we know that if you try to resolve conflicts through technology, it's usually not a sign of a healthy relationship. Usually doing this face-to-face aspect, even if it's through a Zoom, if it's... Because it's when you don't have that person in front of you, there's a change. Um, Technology can certainly be very positive because people have access to numerous resources. Please go to reliable ones. Make sure that they Mm -hmm. know what they're talking about. And the past year has also taught us there's been some scams out there and misinformation. But regarding relationships, it could be helpful or hurtful depending upon how it's used. So I know for me, I... I, I think it's interesting that people will get a message and it might be on a watch and then they'll forget about it and they won't connect with a person. That's me. That's my personal experience. And it's like if we certainly know that social health is so important. And, and I go over this in my classes in which we do this activity. Uh, they get out of schedule. We talk about it's, it's not so much time management. It's about self-management. Because we can't change time. Right. Time's there. You can't change 60 minutes is 60 minutes. So I have them like put down a schedule. What's your typical schedule like? And what did you do last week? And we talk about all the time fillers, the time wasters really that we do. And sometimes we stay on Facebook for too long or we're looking at TikTok for so long. We get sucked in there and watch cat videos or something. And there's another aspect of that about, well, where are your values? What's the most important things to your life? And they put it down on a piece of paper in the front for me. And they'll say a lot of their personal relationships with parents, grandparents, partners, friends. And I'll say to them, where did you put them in your schedule? Hmm. And what's interesting is that it's often taken for granted. 
Yeah. It's like, well, it'll be fit in there. Yeah. What's well, funny because you easily put time on Facebook or on TikTok in there. Like, yeah, that's my time waster. Yet how about reaching out to a family member that you do care about? How about making sure having a date with that person on the phone? Yeah. Uh, there's something about that or even writing them a letter or something like that. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's an excellent uh, exercise to do because that it is very telling in the way that we decide to spend our time. Um, and I do feel like there's an element of us, um, you know, there's so, I feel like there's so much out there vying for our time and attention. And there's so much, I think that we also in our own personal lives are, ignoring maybe I don't know but so going to those places where we scroll to forget I feel like sometimes we scroll in a way to connect right we're like sometimes looking uh we're looking for something but I believe that we are also in essence forgetting we wanting to forget because in a way that has a tendency to do that, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. you look at your watch and then you forget that that person connected to you. Um, and so it seems like it's a matter of intention. Like what, what is our intention yes. and how are we intentional? And then how do we bring that into our relationships? Yes. And yes, intention. I love that word because it is what's my intent with spending time with this individual and noting like not taking advantage of the relationships you have and I think that's the term I want to use here like to have a healthy relationship with my significant other it requires commitment it requires work it's not something that I can just push to the side and say well he'll be there He'll, I'll just have to, you know, he'll be there. Uh-uh, that's not how it works. If you really want to have a healthy relationship, the intent is to be present with one another, mm-hmm. to listen intently, to check in with one another. Okay. And I'm very grateful to have met that partner. I actually met him later in life because I really wanted somebody that aligned with my values and that would be intentional. And when I would speak that way, wouldn't be like, what are you talking about? They're like, that's weird. No, he he will sit with me and he'll say, okay, so how was your day? And I'll do the same with him. Hmm. So not to take advantage. And certainly, because um, we'll have these conversations too, that when we see particular family members or friends, you know, are you going to have any regrets? And for some reason, and maybe it was because I met those people at the hospital and I met people that passed on early in life mm-hmm. of all ages um, that I would think, you know, they are supposed to live longer. Um, I met people that had these diagnoses. It just made for me, me be more aware of how important every day is, every moment yeah. to be purposeful. Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking of talking with you today, it kept on coming in my mind that even when I was younger, I wanted to make sure that I lived to what I wanted to do and and not have regrets, to have this positive, this purpose. And one of my favorite mottos is to take the ride I bought the ticket for. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. 
so that that intention of am I am I living the life I intend to live? Yeah, what's like and checking in with my purpose kind of thing. And that's what's really neat is working with young people is to pass that along to allow them to pause. Because that's the other thing sometimes that I perceive with technology. Sometimes we want instant answers. And there's something about taking a pause and not having anything planned. And then all of a sudden answers come to you. Mm-hmm. And I had an example recently where my partner and I just took a couple of down days and we did some hiking and all, and we were in a place where there are these eagles. And so I had walked to like where we were staying, but at the end of the lawn and I looked up and there were a couple of eagles and I'm like, you know, I was just asked when I'm going to write my next book, what my next idea is like, yeah, I'm really going to have the idea in my head. I've been so busy. I took a deep breath and looked out to the scene. You know, it was pretty out. It was outside. The moment I could slow down, the idea popped into my head and I looked at the eagle and I went, oh, there it is. Because it was beautiful eagles in the tree, too. So it's that being mindful and stepping away from, to me, technology. And again, these are my values. On Saturday, I'm trying to make a, a commitment that I'm not attached to technology, except for phone calls, like a FaceTime yeah. to, to connect with somebody. Other than that, I, I need a little break from all the other stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that one of the reasons And I feel, I keep hearing, you know, that first interaction that you've had with those patients with HIV and recognizing again, that we didn't have access to some of our knowledge, right. Around sexuality and the way it can affect us. So it seems to me like that just impacted you so much. That is that what draws you to the younger to the younger population around puberty, because it seems to me that your intention is to provide them with those tools really early on. And so that they can start to learn more about who they are, uh, how their bodies are, and the way that they can enter into these relationships and start learning about that key component of communication. I would say, Working, like having, providing providing tools for younger people and their families, part of it is that upon working with younger people, there's that general curiosity and there's no judgment. Yeah. Kara, I would have a health class in which all students would be in there. There wouldn't be any separation of anything. And we talk about simple physiological changes that people had and the concept of wet dreams came up Mm -hmm. and one child raised his hand and said, you know, I think I'm wetting my bed. And I'm like, Nope, you're not urinate. Don't worry about it. You don't need diapers. Odds are it's a wet dream. It's natural. And nobody laughed. Nobody was like ridiculing him. It was a natural part. He was curious. And Children have the right to know what's going on with their bodies. That's always where I've been, that before you go through something, it would be nice to have some information, just kind of like before you get a driver's license, you have to have basic information about the rules of the road. And then you have to have some kind of practice, you know, of driving and stuff for 
the younger people that they can have practice about talking about this stuff. So we can also eliminate or lessen those barriers that exist in our society. Because to me, they've started right away when they were younger and they start hearing these slang terms like that's a, a tata or coochie or, yeah. um, or that's a PP. I mean, to me, when we start saying that stuff to young people, that shows we're not comfortable. Oh yeah. No, that's a, that's a breast. That's a penis. That's a vulva. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not have those barriers. And something I usually bring up in my health classes is, if you think about the word ear, how many slang terms do you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing hole. But when you think about like breast or penis, it's like, oh my goodness. And we can laugh about all the slang terms, yet why do they have to exist? Exactly. So the general curiosity that children have has helped me create those tools. Also, I'm not going to deny when I was looking at what already exists, there is a lot of people focusing overall on teenagers and sexuality. And I think Mm -hmm. a part of that is because, okay, they might have sex. Mm -hmm. Well, sexuality, the education, there's so many different topics to it. It starts when we're younger and it starts with talking about the anatomy and physiology and labeling body parts as they are, as well as preparing for those changes of puberty. So why not talk about those things? And I've also had a lot of experience, especially in my first position as a school health educator working in a Catholic school system. I was like the younger person expert because I think my peers didn't want to work with the younger kids sometimes, but I was trained in a program and we talked about safe and unsafe touch. Mm-hmm. And so I know how to do that in a comfortable and empowering manner to say, you know, this is your body. And if somebody violated your space, how can how can we make sure that you tell somebody, even if it happened years ago, how can we empower you and know that that's not your fault, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So that is also like just my experience allowed me to work with younger people. Um, so, and then again, with families, when I would do talks to schools at times, I would first meet uh, parents and other caregivers. And there seemed to be so much hesitancy about, oh, we can't talk about this topic. Not for everyone, but for certain people. And when I did my dissertation at Texas A&M, I focused on why those barriers exist with parents of younger children. So I spoke with parents of third, fourth, and fifth graders, feeling that you know, they should be able to do this. I actually was biased and I put that into my writing. Like, you know, I, I feel, you know, you should be able to, but I had a 180 uh, turnaround in which I noted there's a lot of reasons why there's hesitancy. Mm-hmm. There's so many, how we were raised, how society has created these, these barriers as well as, um, our discomfort and sometimes our lack of recognizing our children have to grow up because we don't want to always see our little ones Mm -hmm. get older, but that's part of us being caregivers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to be that specialist is really neat. And I'm honored because I do like those little ones. I love, I can easily talk with my college students. I can talk with people of a variety of ages, yet I've become the specialist of the puberty prof, Mm -hmm. which is really neat. Mm -hmm. So, So you've had a lot of experience teaching in schools, clearly. So my question is to you, how have you seen sex education change over the years? 
And then knowing that there's so many schools that are still today not offering comprehensive or inclusive education, how do you believe that we can reach people to gain the understanding of how important it is to offer that in schools? I am extremely fortunate that I have worked in schools where they have been supportive of all-inclusive sex education. Mm -hmm. I've been, even when I worked with the Catholic school system, it was a grant program, and we were allowed to talk about certain things depending upon the grade level. And I'm, I, that was my recall. That's, and I'm very blessed to have that experience. And then in the public schools, it was comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, um, at times for evening programs, there might be um, four boys, four girls. Uh, program, yet a lot of the schools had everybody together. So uh, that I'm very glad that I've had that experience. So, and that was 25 years ago. Yeah. So where I was, but I also know that was in certain school districts in New York. And sometimes the East Coast and the West Coast might be a little bit more uh, progressive in that manner. Yeah. Yet I did work at a high school where the neighboring high school was abstinence only. Mm -hmm. So what happened was some of my students had friends there. One particular student dated somebody there and he would always say to me, Miss Reichel, you know, there are pregnant people walking around and they can't even go over how to use a condom properly. So he would teach them. And I said that, you know, if a teacher is in a district that doesn't allow it, that's a difficult position to be in as an educator because you can't lose your job and sometimes they'll have you lose a job or or be removed from the classroom if you don't follow school policy. Mm -hmm. One of the ways we can change that though was through students like him educating others about this is what people need. Sometimes having young people go to board meetings to say, this is what we're asking for. It doesn't mean we're doing it. And there are, we can look at the statistics. Some people are engaging in sexual behaviors. It's not everybody, but we're still curious people. And before we do it, we'd like to have information and we're not necessarily going to have the opportunity to have it again. Mm-hmm. So that's one way I recommend people to get more support for comprehensive sex ed. The other way is too is sometimes reframing what we actually teach. Mm-hmm. If people think that I sit there and I say, okay, this is what you know actually sex is about. You know, you you put this here and then you touch over here and then you do that. First of all, everybody's different and they have different sensations, and you have to figure out your partner. And to me, that's one of the cool things about if you choose to be sexually active to learn with your partner more about yourself and your partner. That can be a really nice intimate behavior. But the other reality is what we teach is really about how to have healthy relationships with yourself and others. Yeah. So if we would reframe how it's presented at times at schools, I believe we'll have more support. Mm-hmm. And when I would have back to school night at the high school level, parents would, you know, they'd have like 10 minutes with me and I'd say, this is what we're teaching. This is the class. We're going to talk about effective communication skills. We're going to talk about effective decision-making skills. We're going to talk about how do we handle things in relationships, uh, whether it be a family relationship, a dating relationship. We're going to talk about this stuff, goal setting in your life, stress management skills. <laughs> and a lot of the, the parents and other caregivers would say, can I have a class like this? <laughs> 
<laughs> so instead of listing, we're going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's these are the skills we're teaching. Mm-hmm. Yes, this information is going to be infused, yet it's age and developmentally appropriate. And here's the stuff that we're teaching. If you want to see it, go and see it. So I totally support the families providing their values because it should be coming from home. And your your children will hear it's it's going to happen. They're going to figure out my values. Side note, they're healthy values. I, I want them to have healthy experiences that when they look back, they don't go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that empowerment through decision making and effective communication skills. Mm-hmm. I wish that we could just like put that on a billboard, right? <laughs> because I, there is so, so much hesitancy around sexuality and it's, I and I know for a fact it's because people have had such negative experiences themselves. Mm-hmm. But I mean, goodness, if we can help people realize the vastness of sexuality, and this is primarily what we as sex educators are teaching, you know, mm-hmm. our students. I just did, um, you know, three classes with fifth graders, and we just spent so much time talking about relationships where I help them figure out, you know, what's the value that you, um, that's the most important to you, go stand by that. And we talked about Mm -hmm. how is it different than that your best friend has a different value than you? How do we engage in a relationship knowing that one value to you is more important than is to another? And then the kids just start talking so much about friendships and like, well, how do I be in a friendship? And what if I'm mad at that person? And how do I talk about it? And Mm -hmm. like, those are the things that we're talking about, right? In terms, again, it goes back to that communication and it goes to just how we relate because that's primarily what we're bringing into partnered relationships that then might turn into intimacy. So And if we can use teachable moments and like even watching a program, a a movie on Netflix or on a television show in which something is portrayed and you know it's not realistic to say, okay, we got to talk about this. You know, how realistic do you think that is? Like to live with someone, it's, it's not easy to live with someone. Mm-hmm. Because we have our own ways. You know, it can go as simple as do you put the top on the toothpaste or not. Right. <laughs> you know, for me, I I was raised to use every little piece of toothpaste in there. So I have like I'm squeezing all the time. And my partner's like, why do you do that? I don't like to, <laughs> you know, but to, how do you resolve that? Because you're going to have differences. And it does start, like you said, with friends. I mean, it starts earlier, you know, when children are living with their family members as a as a newborn and a toddler. But then as we have these other relationships, how do we figure out when we get angry at one? another. Because how many times have we seen in families or in other relationships where you have a conflict, let's not talk about it. Let's pretend it didn't happen or let's just end the relationship. Yep. Yes. (laughs) So you look at like for yourself, if, if you did that with your partner or with a child, they wouldn't be in your life and that's not real. They're in your life. Yeah. So to have those conflict resolution skills are so important. And that is part of uh, 
healthy relationships. Um, for anybody listening, if you choose to look at the National Sexuality Education Standards, they're broken down into different topics. And one topic is healthy relationships. And that starts in kindergarten. You know, mm-hmm. what are the positive traits of friendships and negative traits? Uh, and then, you know, but age and developmentally appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you also work with college students. Um, do you find any similarities between the two age groups at all? I know absolutely. they're very different, but what could be the similarities? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear from college age folks, and I have some folks even in their 30s that will say, I was never taught this. And I'm 30 something or I'm 18 and I never heard this kind of conversation or we never talked about all the different forms of uh, prevention for pregnancy and STI transmission. Uh, So that it's no matter what age, people can always learn. And even though somebody is at at college doesn't mean that they know stuff. They might think they do. But that's also the same thing with teenagers at times because it's, you know, they're trying to figure out who they are. Uh, College students, it's interesting. I train future educators. So at the undergrad level, sometimes they're still becoming these adults that are going to be teachers. So I teach at two or three different levels Mm -hmm. because I have to train them to teach. But at the same time, they're still kind of growing up and figuring things out. So it's really interesting. But I don't... um, I think what it's not necessarily the age level, but I think it's the time that we are seeing a lot more openness Mm -hmm. to have discussions, to talk about as simple as the pronouns. You know, if you want to say your pronouns, say your pronouns to have somebody who uh, identifies differently than cisgender heterosexual say, you know, this is who I am. And I'm amazed that you all don't understand that, that, you know, like how you have to have more inclusivity in classes and stuff to have that comfort level in classrooms is really cool. But that that's overall, because I know that's happening in some middle schools and high school and college. Mm-hmm. So I don't see so much of a difference. I just teach it differently. Yeah, I, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love... Because even like that communication skill, you'd think that maybe by college, they, everybody would have received lessons on that and practice. No, Mm -mm. no, not necessarily. Uh, So to have them practice those skills. So to see a first grader practice an I feel statement and then a college student who's 22, sometimes there's the same challenges. (laughs) It's the reality. Yeah. I've come across that too when I help teach a a master's level course and some of the participants who were in their forties and fifties had said, I have never talked about this. And I, and they're like, and they then expressed anger mm-hmm. yeah, because they were just and grief. Right. And I feel like it's really important to recognize that sometimes when we um, start learning about sexuality and sexual health, that we will experience grief because mm-hmm and anger because of the fact that we, you know, we, there's this element of feeling, well, how could have my life been different? Mm-hmm. You know? And if, if I had known this, then right. Kind right. of experience. So I find that interesting. Yeah. So I love that you then have looked at the way, 
learning how to talk and having these conversations are so essential. So you've created these products uh, in which to do that and and help in those uh, conversations. So tell us more about your products and then what are your hopes for them? There's the Talk Puberty app. And thank you for asking me that, Kara. Mm-hmm. I get so excited and optimistic regarding these tools mm-hmm. because the Talk Puberty app, it allows family members, it allows a health teacher to display a question and have a discussion. And then you get to, on the Talk Puberty app, there's simple answers for most of the sections. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, here's a simple answer. And then there is a list of resources on one of the, one area of the app so people can look for more, but it's to help guide the conversation. So if you're a parent, other caregiver, if you're a teacher and you're like, how do I even start this conversation? It guides the converse, it guides it. So if you want to talk about things that happen to most boys, you look at the first question and then you see a simple answer and then you get to the next and you can laugh together and say, oh, that's a weird question or that's, I never thought about asking that question or even thinking about it. And how that started was I had the chit chat puberty cards. They're actually in my book, The Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. That book was created for parents and other caregivers. And all the questions were from children that I've met in the past. Mm -hmm. So they're actual questions from children and there's age and developmentally appropriate answers. And the back of that book are the puberty chit chat cards. And what's really neat about those is that the feedback I get, parents will have this set of cards, just like your cards that you have, and a child will pull one out and you know, they just want to have a conversation about it. It can be randomly. A caregiver can look through the cards first, take some out until they feel they're, they're feeling more comfortable or their child might be more ready for the the conversation, but it's a way, it's a cue to action to have a conversation. And it takes the responsibility off of everybody for, I have to know what to ask. Mm -hmm. Because what I've heard so much from, and this is within my research, that parents will say, well, I'm expecting my child to come to me because I told them they can come to me for anything. Yes. However, if we haven't modeled for children how to do that, because we haven't gone to them, Mm -hmm. then they don't know how to do that. And it's, I'm not looking, it's nobody's fault. It's because like, this is how it's been. Mm -hmm. So this takes the responsibility of everybody not having to know what to ask, but it it just sets it up that you can even then ask additional questions. And then there's one part of that app where it's open-ended. So you can have these discussions of, you know, what's the favorite part? What's the best part about getting older? What's the worst part about getting older? Um, What's one goal you have? you hope to have, you know, um, so it's to allow for conversation and those conversation starters is so important. So along with that app is the before sex app. Mm-hmm. And that came from discussion cards that I've used in the college classroom setting and high school setting and which students would be put into groups and it could be randomized groups and they grab one or two cards and I don't have to stay in the room for this. I mean, I do K through 12 setting. You have to, it's a liability. You have to stay in the room, but you, like, I know that they're on task because they'll get a card and they'll be like, Psh, look at this, you know, check out this 
question and they might make a joke about it, but then it leads to conversation. Mm -hmm. And they might say, I don't like this question. I didn't like that. Well, what questions would you prefer? You know, like the question of does your, um, would you want to know how many partners your partner has engaged in sexual behaviors with? Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, do I want to know? And, you know, do I want to know? Because might I be like judgmental? Might I be nervous? Might I compare my experience to theirs? So to have that discussion, it prompts it. Mm -hmm. So the before sex app right now is in the format of questions for a variety of areas, including questions for identity, questions about basic relationship stuff, prevention of pregnancy and STIs. And then there's more open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. Currently, the answers aren't on there. I have that drafted, but I'm still hoping to get some feedback. Do people want that? Because part of the purpose of the app is to sit down and have a conversation. Uh Mm -hmm. And if you and I don't know the answer, let's go to a reliable resource. And I have them all listed on the app, Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of them, I should say, um, to go to a reliable resource and look at the information together and then make the best decision. Yeah. So this is to make sure that people are on the same page if they're choosing to be physically intimate. Mm-hmm. So it, and it supports that consent of hey, we're going to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get really excited about that. Yeah, that sounds amazing, and I do think it's great to be honest to not provide the answer because I I think that whole aspect of okay, well, well, where are we at with this and you know, if you provide those resources for them to look at, like that's part of some of the learning that we have to do is how do we um, even start forming our ideas and values and what does that mean for us? And then um, learning how to seek out the resources that are appropriate and that matter and that are, um, you know, based on science and fact, (laughs) Mm -hmm. things like that. So that's And I, I know some people want instant answers. Yeah, the reality is in relationships, everything is an instant. Mm-hmm. And there's that that question I have on the app and I have on the discussion cards and that I, the physical ones, I have the question, you know, what is love? And how long does it take to trust someone? Because mm-hmm. reality is it takes some time to figure somebody out. They might try to tell you who they are, but their real habits. It's that whole thing of, you know, your first time you hang out, you're, you're, you bathe, maybe your, your hair is more, you know, done or you're wearing nicer clothes. And then after some time, it's like, yeah, I'm wearing sweatpants and, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't shave whatever body part, if I choose to shave and stuff, you get a little bit more, more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like the first time you pass gas in front of someone, either burping <laughs> or, or farting. Uh, it's that kind of, okay. So you reach a certain comfort level. Yeah. And so how, you know, when do you start learning that trust? And so I appreciate you saying not to have the answers there because I know some people would say, well, you're trying to delay somebody from, you know, like engaging in sex with someone. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I, if you both have made the decision, you've communicated it, you're not under the influence of a substance too, especially Mm -hmm. like if it's a newer relationship, if you're communicated, then okay, cool. Unfortunately, I know people that just want to rush to that. And as a person that's been single for a long time in her life, I've had first dates with many people who make the assumption because I teach this topic too, that means we're going to do something. 
absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, teaching about this topic does not mean you have risque values, maybe, or something. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I know who I am and what I choose. Mm-hmm. Um, but to meet certain people, it's, it's um, and I know I had um, a date with somebody who had a fifth grader. And as soon as he found out I taught about health, he's like, oh, you talk about sex and drugs and oh, and he seemed to kind of get a little excited or horny. And so I said to him, well, have you spoken to your son about these things? Oh, no, 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 no. Why not? Oh, he's not ready for that. He might be having nocturnal emissions. No, he won't do that for a couple of years. (laughs) And I'm looking at this man who is possibly turned on and horny this first date. And I'm like, if your son is similar to you and not, you know, his body's already responding to stuff, he could be having these wet dreams and that's a natural process and it can happen for fifth graders. So that like when in my personal lives, my job isn't to teach my partner all that stuff, you know, we can learn together, but I'm not health teacher for that relationship. Um, So when I meet at, I'm okay with people doing things if they've communicated, and I've met high school students that are of legal consent age, they've had healthier relationships than some adults I know my age. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. And they might not stay together because that's part of their growth process and it's life. Uh, but, you know, I, yeah, just <laughs> to, to have somebody pause, I'm okay with that. Because again, I, I choose to have people look back at experiences and not have regrets. And it does bother me when I look at the statistics of people who engage in using a substance like alcohol or another drug, and that's when they had their first sexual experience. Yeah. Um, under the influence of a drug does not legally allow you to provide consent, but that's also like, um, it's, there's regrets there and stuff. So we talk honestly, we should be talking honestly about substances in which I do in my health classes. Like, let's talk honestly. Alcohol is a drug. It's the most abused. You can have a healthy relationship with it if you're not using it as a coping tool. If you're not using it to, because you're angry, you have to get rid of those feelings. That's not healthy, but it might be a part of your life, you know, having a drink here or there, having whatever it is. So how can you have a healthy relationship with those substances? Let's do the same thing with romantic and sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And really everyone's answers too will be slightly different based on who they are. And, you know, and that's part again of like being able to come to those conclusions and understanding about, yeah, everything that you're trying to do. Uh, So our time is almost coming to an end. So I wanted to ask you, as I do a lot of people, uh, when I, have them on my show. Uh, what story in your life are you reframing right now? Love the question. Love the theme of your podcast, Kara. Love it so much because I think reframing occurs throughout our life. Yeah. And at this moment in 2021, it's deepening my alignment and joy for who I am for Lori Reichel. I'm a very goal-driven person, and I've been like this ever since I was younger, like I said earlier, to take the ride I bought the ticket for. So I used to write down goals. I still do, 
but even like 30, 25, I think I started 25 years ago, every New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, as well as on my birthday, I would look at my goals for the year as well as life goals. And I had goals like to write a book, to get a doctorate, to go into the Grand Canyon and stuff. And I reflected in December and January that I'm very fortunate. I've worked really hard for being able to attain those goals. Nobody's handed me things. I've put myself through school. I worked two jobs and stuff. And so I've reached a lot of goals. I've written a book, got my doctorate later in life and stuff. At this time, and I have it right in front of me, it's it's 2021 aligning with my purpose. For the first time in a long time, I have the least amount written for goals. Hmm. Because that reframing of ensuring I'm truly aligned with my purpose. Mm. And part of that is to, uh, and maybe COVID helped with this, is to ensure that the choices I'm making are, they create joy within my heart. Mm. And it's part of what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And I've always tried to be purposeful, but there's also this shift, which is part of the reframing where, where I am in my life, I'm in a position right now where my peers seem to accept me and appreciate, they're, they're professional to me, they appreciate my background. So it's really a nice feeling. But I also note, I'll start transitioning to eventually retire full-time and maybe work part-time, not tomorrow, and that actually creates the shift of making sure that I'm providing the best I can to my students and to families as well as myself. Mm. Because I also don't know, you know, you get to a certain time in life and I'm middle age, you do become aware of how some people at this point in their life, they have health challenges and they pass on or stuff can happen at any time or how do I want to be when I'm 80 or 90 or something mm -hmm. you, you have this shift of thinking of okay am I living purposefully yeah um, so it's it's really really stepping back that's my reframing right now really ensuring that alignment and joy is there mm -hmm. always doing that but there's something this year in which it's it's more a theme across everything of my life instead of all these mini goals. Yeah. It's like you're practicing that intention. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because I choose not to have any regrets. Like I recognize when I visit a friend or a family member, I don't know what tomorrow brings. So I'm hoping to, when we say goodbye or see you soon, it's done with joy. Yeah. And that there's not a regret that I'll say, you know, I love you. I love you, dad. I love you, mom. I love you. You know, I love you. And I look forward to seeing you again, that kind of thing. I hope to, I, I just want to make sure I'm in purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think that this year has really made us, I think in general, think about that, right? Cause it's yeah. so, it's so important. Um, and it, and it shows too, like just the way people impact us, right? And mm -hmm. how, and then we think about how, how are we impacting others, and yes. how can we be a person who impacts for the good, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Sure. Yes. In which I've learned also this year, I'm doing something called A Course in Miracles. And Marianne Williamson, I listen to something of hers almost every day. And it's from the course of, A Course of Miracles. And there's a lot about forgiveness. Mm. And that's been like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to forgive, but that uh, practicing that forgiveness does let go of a lot of things. It's a, been really a neat experience and a reminder of who I truly am. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very happy for you. That's great. Thank you, Kara. Um, how can people find you? Because I'm sure after listening to this, they're going to be like, I want to understand, find that app and see more of what she does. So how can they find you? They can go to pubertyprof.com mm-hmm. or my name, laurireichel.com. So you'll, there's a couple of tabs there because I also do some consulting for health education. So that's one way. I also have a Facebook page for the Super Health Crusader or Lori Reichel, as well as the uh, on Twitter, um, at Puberty Prof. So uh, basically... Just do a Google search for Puberty, puberty Prof. prof. <laughs> yep, you'll find my podcast, my website and everything. And if there's anything you ever, like for listeners, if you ever want to listen to my podcast and you have suggestions, please let me know. I, I like receiving feedback because I want, I truly choose to provide tools to help people have these conversations on sexuality in a, in a more comfortable and easier manner. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for joining us today. I thank you, Kara, so much. And thanks for doing all that you're doing. 